Welcome back to the Room Matters Podcast. This is a place for everyone who is crazy about rheumatology to connect, collaborate, compete, and learn together. We are so excited. Uh, we are in the midst of the Room Madness Tournament for 2023, the all-star season. Um, this is another podcast reviewing the teams in the tournament. Um, the last two podcasts that we did reviewed the left side of the bracket. And this podcast is going to review primarily the right side of the bracket, although we have one more team to cover in the left side as well. So if you're interested in understanding more about the teams in the tournament, um, what these teams are about, and you're interested in hearing from actually some of the scouting report authors themselves, um, this is a great podcast to listen to. If you're completely new to Room Madness, that's not a big deal. We want to introduce you to uh, what it's like for rheumatology concepts to compete against each other on this podcast so you get an idea of what that's like. Uh, but also the link to our uh, website is in the show notes where you can actually find the scouting reports that we're talking about, learn how to play Room Madness, learn how to submit a bracket learn how to find um, some of the Q&As that are connected to the Room Madness topics this year that are also now posted on the MedNet. So all kinds of content for you to engage with. Just want to remind everyone, um, it's really easy to play. You just submit a bracket and hope for the best. Um, submitting a bracket is free and uh, should take less than a couple minutes once you've made up your mind of which teams uh, should win. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right into talking about the teams. Um, before we start talking about the right side of the bracket, um, we are so thankful to have on this podcast, Melissa Band and uh, Dave Bolbin from Geisinger Fellowship Program, who actually wrote the scouting report um, on monosodium urate crystals activating the inflammasome, um, which we talked about briefly in the last podcast, but we didn't get to have them here. And so they couldn't defend their team as we were talking about them in the mechanism madness region. And so I just wanted to briefly invite them here to talk about the monosodium urate activating the inflammasome article, why they chose that article and what it's all about. Um, so Melissa and Dave, take it away. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having us. You know, this was one of the first studies to identify the mechanism behind acute gout flares. And, you know, it was kind of extrapolated on prior studies about IL-1 beta activation in autoinflammatory syndromes. And they thought, you know, maybe this has to do with gout as well. So what they did was they took mice deficient in IL-1 beta and they injected them with MSU and CDPD crystals. And what they found was MSU and CPD crystals engage the CAPS phase one and activates this NLRP3 inflammasome and creates this havoc of acute gout flares. And you know, we thought this was super important, especially now today, because in our practice, we end up using anakinra um, for a lot of acute gout flares, especially in heart failure patients. And we feel very strongly that this uh, has enough bandwidth to compete with the clonal expansion part of the mechanism madness. And, um, had a lot of fun with, you know, Dr. Bolvin putting his basketball influence here and, he created this name, the inflammasome slamajamasome was born, is what we're calling it for the NLRP3 inflammasome. Um, so, yeah, uh, for those who don't know, before. that's a reference to the Houston 1983 basketball team, which was known as Fly, Phi Slamajama with Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. And I thought it fit quite well as a play on words. Um, for the component of the inflammasome. So hopefully that will punish somebody along the way. Um, <laughs> I'm confident that that will be 
a big catch for the people who understand basketball. Now that's a reference from when the year I was born. So whether somebody will catch that reference or not remains to be seen. Awesome. I am so happy that you all named it that. Yeah. I really encourage people as they read the scouting reports to kind of read through the alternate team names that have been suggested because there's some really amazing ones. Um, so I think that's one of my favorites. Uh, there's a lot of good ones in here. Last podcast, we had UNC talking about the um, MVP, most villainous protein, uh, which is myeloperoxidase, which is pretty good. Um, so we got we got some good ones in there. So that might be like a sub competition in the tournament. Best alternate name suggested. But yeah, it's a great article. And I, I think it's fabulous. Um, you know, a guy cats on the last podcast really was, I think, defending you all. And I didn't know this, actually, he looked it up. And um, that article is actually of all the articles that we have included in this year's tournament, it's the most cited article, which I think is fascinating um, that that's the one. Anyway, I think the inflammasome is so cool all the way back to my um, medical school days when I did my first rheumatology rotation, actually in pediatric rheumatology. I remember my attending taking me aside and showing me this thing called the inflammasome. And she was so excited about it. She was like, look at this. This thing is so interesting, isn't it? I'm like, what is this? And apparently um, it has to do with gout. And um, yeah, it's something that we use um, almost every day, um, that knowledge. So I think that's really good. So I'm excited to see how it goes. And I'm really curious, you know, when we get to the end of the podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to have y'all throw your two cents in on who you think is going to win the left side of the tournament. We're talking mostly about the right side, uh, but we'll just get your two cents at the end and see what matchups you're going to see, who you think your team is going to match up against in the championship, um, if it's going to make that far. So thank y'all. Okay. We're going to move on now to the right side of the bracket, and we're just going to march on down from the top. So at the top of this bracket is um, the get in the game region. And so when we name this region, what we were really trying to get at is um, studies that showed that it's time to start using something. So get those players in the game. So the teams that are in this um, uh, region are cyclophosphamide for necrotizing vasculitis or polyanisodosum. That scouting report was uh, written by a group from the Allegheny Rheumatology Fellowship Program. Um, none of them could make it to this podcast this evening. So we'll briefly tell you about their team. Uh, but there's also cyclophosphamide in scleroderma. So the SLS1 um, study from the LSU Shreveport Rheumatology Fellowship Program. And then the initiation of urate luring therapy during a flare. Um, so we have a gout theme tonight. So those are the three teams in this side of the, um, in this region, that top region in the right side of the bracket. So um, Iman, I'm going to have you start if you can um, and uh, tell us about the cyclophosphamide and scleroderma study and why you all chose it. I would love to talk about my team. So we chose the SLS1 study um, because it was time. Like you said, get in the game. It's time to look at that disease and treat those patients. Um, we're up against cyclophosphamide for um, polyarthritis nodosa or for vasculitis. Um, and that study came out in what, 1970s? And the SLS1 study didn't come out till 2006. That's like 30 year nearly difference of uh, the scleroderma patients getting the attention that they needed. And so this study is an excellent study about um, how cyclophosphamide can help treat scleroderma lung disease. And everybody needs to read it, read it because it was quite 
um, groundbreaking for its time and for the patient population that really needed it. Thanks, Iman. Uh, I'm really glad y'all chose that study. I mean, I think it's emblematic of a lot of the different studies that were chosen in the tournament this year. The study itself is fabulous. Um, and yes, effect sizes are small, but when you think about um, the reverberations that went through the field in terms of thinking of scleroderma as a treatable disease, um, I think that is um, really paradigm shifting for that condition. Um, and obviously, there have been multiple studies that have uh, built on that. Still definitely a huge struggle with that condition, um, but it was a ray of hope. And I think that was a really fabulous article that you all chose and a really good scouting report as well. So. Um, I'm interested to see who comes out of this uh, region. I mean, these are really some big trials in rheumatology and some ones that um, really take us back to our roots. So yeah, the cyclophosphamide and necrotizing vasculitis study uh, written uh, by the famous Dr. Fauci. So our reminder that Dr. Fauci was um, engaged in rheumatology uh, many years ago, uh, studying vasculitis. And that study, um, similar to studies of using cyclophosphamide and lupus, really helped us understand that we can use alternative agents, even ones that are very toxic, to treat these conditions when they're the most severe, um, and that that's better than prednisone alone or, or, or corticosteroids alone. And obviously, there are some other studies that we're going to talk about um, this evening that have built on um, uh, that knowledge in treating vasculitis, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing from Keem about that. Uh, but it's a really interesting study. Um, and I think if you are someone who is treating any kind of vasculitis, um, you should be aware of that study as one of the foundational studies in the field of vasculitis. So um, whichever the cyclophosphamide studies wins, um, they'll be matched up against the urate learning therapy initiation during a flare. And definitely would encourage anyone. Um, so this founding report was written by um, the Rheumatology Fellowship Program at Medical College of Wisconsin. And um, really great uh, review of this topic. And, you know, anyone who writes about gout, I think they really make the point. I think it's a well-made one that, you know, it's probably more common than almost any other condition that we're talking about. Um, and these studies that, um, like the urate learning therapy during flare study, impacts not just the rheumatology field, but all of medicine. Um, and you know, definitely dispelled the myth that you cannot start your learning therapy in the midst of a flare. So um, I'm really interested to see who wins that region. Um, right underneath the get in the game region is the jump ball region. Um, so we're looking for ways of naming a region that would give us an excuse to do some more randomized controlled trials. So that's what we came up with. <laughs> um, but some really good studies. I mean, some amazing studies in this uh, region. Um, and so I'm going to start with Keem, if you don't mind telling us about the RAVE trial and uh, why you all chose that for this tournament. So my topic, and I wrote I, I wrote this with my program directors, Drs. Wolf and Golombieski. Uh, we chose the RAVE trial, which was one of the most important trials in uh, rheumatology. So this is a trial that was published in 2010 by Dr. Stone in New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, it compared uh, rituximab versus cyclophosphamide for cases of vasculitis in about uh, 200 patients. And basically, the purpose of this trial was to see if there's any better alternatives to cytoxin, which used to be the standard of care for the last 40 years before 2010. 
for ankyl vasculitis, it was it was a game changer pretty much. But there's a lot of side effects to cyclophosphamide that we all know of: hemorrhagic cystitis, infection, fertility risks. So uh, there was a big need for better and safer treatment options. So this trial compared rituximab with cytoxin, and basically it found that rituximab was non-inferior to cyclophosphamide in achieving remission at six months. Uh, but when they stratified uh, the results by relapsing disease, they found that rituximab was superior to cyclophosphamide for relapsing disease. And adverse effects were equivalent in both arms. So this was a big win for rituximab and has been a paradigm shift in the way we treat this disease. So it was a, one of the most important papers in modern rheumatology. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think, definitely groundbreaking, you know, and there's a lot even going around on social media right now thinking about, you know, who's using cyclophosphamide, you know, versus rituximab for these conditions. And the debate rages on. But I mean, I think it's really fascinating, you know, that when you read the new treatment guidelines that have been put out by the uh, Vasculitis Foundation, ACR, um, you know, rituximab is recommended. And when you read um, why, a lot of it is actually the the patient advocates that are in that were involved in that in that paper. Um, you know, in in the text, they really say that you know the patients that uh, were on their panel and their treatment uh, uh, guidelines um, panel seem to really favor rituximab because of its safety. And uh, you know, I think it really speaks to this advance in in a way that we can uh, make our patients better in a safer way. And definitely the rape trial is one that um, every, every fellow's got to read at some point during their training. So I'm glad you chose it. Um, now it's matched up against some really good other studies. Um, so two foundational lupus uh, studies. One is the ALMS trial, uh, which essentially established the efficacy of mycophenolate um, uh, compared to cyclophosphamide for lupus nephritis. And that scouting report was written by the fellowship program at UAB. Really great study, foundational, and also a really excellent scouting report. And that is matched up against um, a randomized controlled trial of hydroxychloroquine withdrawal. And that um, scouting report was written by our other, um, the second ever private practice group to write a scouting report for um, room madness. And uh, we have Belinda Birnbaum here to talk about that scouting report. So Belinda, um, tell us why y'all chose that article. Thanks so much for having me. So if you wanna talk about a paradigm shift, you're gonna to wanna to talk about how it wasn't common knowledge that hydroxychloroquine needed to be used in lupus patients. And if you think about that today, it seems as ludicrous as um, thinking the earth is flat. So like Copernicus, who discovered that Earth was a planet that revolves around the sun, um, these Canadians in 1991 decided to do this very simple, not fancy, intricate uh, study. But basically what they did was they took patients who were stable on their hydroxychloroquine, and they had half of them stop it, and half of them continued it. And the results are not that surprising. What were the results? Um, basically, the uh, risk of flare was higher in the patients who stopped their hydroxychloroquine. The patients who needed prednisone were the ones who stopped their hydroxychloroquine. Uh, so that's really it. 
But that's the cornerstone for saying that hydroxychloroquine is necessary in our patients with lupus. And so if you take a step back and think, where would you be today as a rheumatologist without hydroxychloroquine in your armamentarium? I'll let you guys ponder that. Thank you, Belinda. I mean, fabulous topic, fabulous report. And I'm so glad you chose it. Um, it's one of my favorite articles. I think you're right. I mean, it's think about something that we use every day without even knowing it. It's become so foundational to our field. You know, it's also, I mean, I have to say, you know, this is a scouting report that's essentially written by a former Blue Ribbon panel member. So you know what they're looking for? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that might be a leg up for your team. So we're always about the intangibles um, here at Room Madness. So I don't know. We'll see. I spent my fair share of time staring at scouting reports. So <laughs> tough decisions that you had to make last year. Well, great. Uh, so it's going to be a fun region. I mean, lots of amazing trials in the top half of the right side of the bracket. And, you know, as we've seen from former Blue Ribbon panels, um, they have loved the, the trials. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how far those teams go. Okay, thank you for listening. That was part one of our bracketology discussion on the right side of the Room Madness bracket. Please make sure to turn in to part two of the bracketology discussion on the right side of the bracket in the next episode. And don't forget to submit your brackets. Thank you.